I'm Dan Kendall, and you're listening to Digital Health Today, Asia Pacific Edition. Did you know that this is just one of the many shows that we create? In fact, from original podcasts like this one, to patient and professional educational content, to digital marketing, and even podcast advertising, we do a lot more than simply host conversations. We're mission-based media. Visit our website to learn more at missionbasedmedia.com. Welcome to Digital Health Today, Asia Pacific Edition, your go-to podcast to learn about the transformation of healthcare in a region with over 4.5 billion people across more than 40 countries. I'm your host, Tony Estrella. Today, I'm very excited to have Jeff Chen join us. He's normally based in Hong Kong, but we've caught him on one of his frequent trips to China. His work has immersed him into this fascinating region with nearly 1.5 billion people who have high demands for healthcare. As we'll learn, their needs may be similar to people from other parts of the world, but technology has created new and unique ways to support them. Jeff and I have spoken on various panels together, and that's how we first got to meet. I've always valued his insights and his engaging manner when he shares his experiences with others. So let's get started. Jeff, tell our audience more about yourself. Hi, Tony. Thank you for the kind introduction. Um, you know, very glad to be joining this podcast. So I, funny enough, I was actually born in Taiwan, but grew up mostly in the U.S. Uh, started off my career there, and it was late 2004 when I thought, you know what, I'm going to put some international experience on my CV resume. And so I thought I would go to Hong Kong Expo for two years and then go back to the U.S. But once I got to Hong Kong, you realize, wow, that was at the crisp of China, really, the, the whole growth was just starting to happen. So that was 05, 06. And then it was just such an exciting landscape that I've been here ever since. Oh, that's exciting. I agree that the region is very dynamic in the way that technology has affected uh, the way individuals live their daily lives. And, you know, we'll see that more in digital health. But so when you came here, you started off in the banking sector. Tell us a bit about, you know, when you looked at healthcare from the lens of a banker, what made you decide that you wanted to go from a broad technology view to focus more in healthcare specifically? Yeah, and I think healthcare is interesting in the sense that you started off, I think, back when I first started in Asia, it was very much your traditional healthcare. So it's more around offline healthcare services, hospital services. Asia, you didn't even have that much biotech, right? And forget even talk about digital health or online healthcare. And it wasn't really, really evolved until probably, I would say, around post-2010 when you start having the smartphone, when the mobile internet revolution started taking off in China. Um, and then with the introduction of WeChat, introduction of, you know, all the payment system, then healthcare was starting to be one of the sectors that people start to explore. And for many, many, many years, healthcare was never disrupted. And I think partly it's just because healthcare is very difficult to do, right? You think about even today, most of the services is still done offline. So how do you integrate that with a pure so-called online platform or other industries such as retail where e-commerce predominantly is being done online. There's still some offline element of the fulfillment and delivery, but your core experience and your core time spent is actually online. I think healthcare is actually the reverse, right? You, you probably core spend of time is offline, but there's a lot of so-called technology or online element you can add to it to make the overall experience, patient journey, if you used to so-called that, much better. And then over time, really to move forward to focus on how to make you healthy through data analytics. Yeah. And this offline to online transition in healthcare is something that, especially at the doctors and point of care, 
uh, has to be carefully thought through from the consumer experience because it you know, clearly can affect the interactions that people have with their clinicians. And so the company that you worked with in China, We Doctor, tell us more, give us some history about why you joined that business. And then what did you see in that transition that was where digital health really started to explode as a result of the influence and impact of that company? Sure. So the company was started in 2010 by uh, the founder is called Jerry. Jerry first started the business because he actually went through a very painful experience himself. So he had this young niece who had a bulge on the leg around the knee. For many, many months, they would go around the hospital and imagine they would go at 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning, wait for hours until the registration or the appointment counter opens. Then once they open, they start thinking, what doctor should I see? You know, let's test out this GP referral type of concept in China. So then they would book appointment initially with, let's say, you know, a bone doctor in uh, one of the specialists. Then they gone through that basically for over a year and a half, finally had a surgery. And at the end, it was a misdiagnosed. So from there, he said, why can't I just use technology, the internet online to make number one, finding doctor easier, finding the right doctor easier. And then number two, get the appointment out of doctor much more efficiently rather than waiting in line at 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning. And so that's how the business started. So the, the core service at the very beginning was online appointment, right? So now you can start looking at, okay, this hospital has these type of doctors. What do they specialize? What type of uh, so-called disease or what type of condition you may want to see these type of doctors? Then you are able to make appointments of these doctors. So then you always have increased efficiency. So that really, that was the core business since 2010. And then it evolved into really 2015 when we doctor got what we call the internet hospital license, the first internet hospital license in China. That allowed them to do online consultation. That allowed them to start giving you know, our e-prescription. And so the evolution of online consultation started to take off from there. And then really, I think 2017 was the year when they realized this whole integrated, what we've been talking about, online to offline experience is very important. So they start working with partners as well as building their own offline GP clinic, primary care clinics, so that they can have that continuous interaction of online first, then go offline, then back to online again. So that loop never breaks. And then really now they continue to move forward into working more directly with government as well. So basically help alleviate some of the pain points that the government is experiencing, which is there's strong demand and, and supply imbalance, right? Everybody wants to go to these top tier three grade A hospital in China, but there's only 11% of those in China versus 50 plus percent of people want to go there. So how do we use technology to really alleviate that imbalance? So that is something that they work very closely with government as well. Right. Yeah, and that and that imbalance and disparity between number of available doctors to population clearly is something that can be helped along with technology. You know, we, if we take a step back from the healthcare front and look at broader trends in China, it's a very digital first, mobile first society. So can you talk about the impact of how, you know, the use of WeChat and Taobao shifted the consumer mindset to create a rapid adoption to say, I will use healthcare on my mobile phone. There'll, there'll be a way that I, I trust that platform because that's not always the case. Yeah. No, interesting. So I think what makes China quite different versus a lot of the other developed countries, whether that's US or Europe, is that most of the people in China, their first touch point to internet was actually through mobile. 
So the, the adoption in terms of using everything on mobile is a lot higher than people, let's say, from the U.S., right? I mean, U.S. people, or even myself, where I grew up from a PC era, I still feel more, what, what do you call it, safer or comfortable doing, for example, my banking transactions on a PC or on my MacBook versus mobile. But I think China mindset is totally different because, you know, I would probably say majority or I think the data, if I think was correct, is 90% of people, their first touch point to internet was actually mobile. And because of that, if you look at the development of, let's say, WeChat, where it started as a messaging system, but now the ecosystem on WeChat is so vast. And the interesting thing is what the WeChat that people see outside of China is just a very small fraction of the capability of WeChat. In China, you will actually see all the function and services that WeChat can have. You could literally have just WeChat, that one app on your mobile, and then go around, do your daily life without having to have a wallet, without having to you know purchase ticket offline or whether that's train ticket. So you can call taxis, you can buy train ticket, or you can see doctors, right? You can order delivery, right? You can play games, you can read books, you can listen to music. It's literally everything you want is around there. Then there's also WeChat work for kind of your work environment, uh, communication, calendar. It's amazing. And then WeChat, obviously Tencent now has Tencent video or Tencent meeting as well, which is basically the China version of Zoom. And so you have everything evolving that one ecosystem. Alipay, uh, very similar, right? You open Alipay, you could literally get everything you want. Very similar to, you know, the entry to payment, but then now you can get everything around your daily services. Again, you can also see doctors, right? You can also get medicine. And so the adoption is amazing. I mean, every time I'm in China, I literally have zero use of my credit card or cash. I could go around without, without my wallet, no cash, no credit card, and you'll be able to survive. Even a little street vendor, they will have a little paper with the QR code of your Alipay and you just scan and you pay $1 RMB to buy whatever snack that you're buying. So the adoption is so widely and so vast that you almost can't live without it on a daily basis. Yeah, and that's pretty fantastic. I mean, think in terms of uh, payment efficiencies and thinking about some of the challenges of, you know, how long it might take for cash to be passed across various parties and stakeholders in the healthcare system. You know, we can contrast that with. Yeah, I live in Singapore, and you know, if we look at the GP structure here, there's so much of it that's paper based. You know, going to a GP, you have to fill out paperwork still, and then when you are paying for things, you're still paying by credit card, and everything you get is a paper receipt. And you know, can you talk a little bit about how does that removal of anything paper-based influence and impact reimbursement, for example? You know, how, how does reimbursement happen in China? Yeah, no, I, I, could give you, I could give you a great example of paperless. I entered China three days ago, and at the border, you actually have to scan a QR code in your WeChat, and the customs immigration's mini program pops out. So you have to fill out all your form, do the WeChat mini program. Then you receive a QR code. And as you pass the border, they scan your QR code. And then they know that based on your health and whatnot, that you're good to entry. So there's, there's no paper. It's literally, and it's all done on a third-party WeChat platform. So it's quite amazing. And I think if you think about what player like Tencent or We Doctor have done is they enable you so that once you go in into a hospital scene, for example, 
your information is connected. They can recognize who you are. So how much national health insurance is do you have, for example? How much private insurance do you have? How much do you need to pay out of pocket? That is all within that system. So as you flow from, let's say, registration to triage to seeing the doctor to you know getting medication and the payment, it is all digital. And so there's nothing you need to do to try to reimburse, for example, uh, you don't need to get a receipt and then go out and then fill out a form and then send it to, let's say, the insurance or the national health insurance how you get reimbursed. It's all done electronically. Obviously, not may not be the case across the whole country, but at least in some of the major cities like Shenzhen, Shanghai, uh, Hangzhou, Beijing, I mean, that is the case. And and so the, the amount of so-called digital, I guess, footprint and the ability of using technology to really make that seamless, uh, in China, it is quite amazing. Oh, that's really fantastic. I think from a simplicity of the consumer journey, it's really taken what we have seen in other sectors, whether it's retail or you know any type of commerce, to bring it into healthcare and really simplify the expectations on the individual to know, you know, how do you get this paid for? It's now just focusing really on healthcare. So I think from a consumer design and consumer experience, it's uh, really fantastic. Are there any drawbacks to having that tight level of integration of your healthcare data with other forms of your data? Or is it all positives in terms of just having, you know, really seamless physician and, and clinician interactions? Well, that's a good question. And I think this is there's always a trade-off between convenient experience versus data privacy, right? So like I always say, to make the user experience, especially from an online perspective, very, very, very good. You always need enough data so you can provide a very customized type of service to individuals or to users. But the trade-off of that obviously is, well, am I exposing too much or I'm giving up too much data? I, I would say probably the difference between China and maybe, let's say, U.S. is these data in the U.S. tend to be controlled by private enterprises, Whereas I would say China, it is very closely monitored by the government. Yes, it flows through some of these private enterprises, but the government have access to that as well. And so it's kind of providing the convenience, but without having to really worry about data breach, I think for some of these experience that you would have in China versus, let's say, the U.S. Yeah. And I think you know, privacy is always going to be a, a point of contention. I think regardless of what mechanism is used in whatever country, there's always a, that, as you said, that trade-off of you know, who has my access to my data? How are they using it? Is there an impact to me as an individual? And I think for the foreseeable future, we will always be tackling and, and trying to deal with those challenging questions uh, across not just healthcare, but our, our daily lives. So you know, one of the other things that I think is very impactful about that type of experience is in Asia, one of the common themes is family members really are tightly knit in a household in terms of family care. You see that in terms of many types of uh, intergenerational households, China, Singapore, you know, they, they, they really have that. Can you talk a bit about how does data and family care component work in a place like China and We Doctor? Yeah, so I, I always like to say, the reason why healthcare so far, and I don't think in the, any near future time that we will actually see an AI replace a doctor, is because human beings are just, they're, they're not standardized, right? So they're not like chess where there's 
X number of moves, you can map out every single move and put it into a computer and they can calculate much faster than any human beings they can. I think when it comes to healthcare, let's say I live in Hong Kong right now. If I move to Beijing next year, over the next three years, my lawn, in terms of my health, in terms of my, my lung, is probably going to be quite different than if I were to continue to stay in Hong Kong. My DNA, my background, my parents, you know, kind of what genetic stuff they have also impacts that a lot. And so as we start to think about how do we provide a much more targeted, individualized, I call it a holistic program or health-related holistic program to any individual, part of that mapping obviously is their family history, right? And their family background. And so I, I see that as an important part of the data input or information to make that mapping on any individual much more uh, accurate. And so that's important. I think that's something that China, I know quite a bit of the various players are trying to do. And then also a lot of various players are trying to basically provide these packages where it is really family-based because in China, private health insurance is still, penetration is still very low. We're talking about like mid-single digits. Um, and so a lot of so-called more innovative or leveraging technology online healthcare players are trying to come up with these, I would say almost quasi-insurance or HMO type of product. It's much more light touch. It doesn't have covered all the elements like someone like Kaiser Permanente would, would have from the very initial GP touch point all the way to the hospital. But it's about, wait, can I help to cover your daily or annual needs on general healthcare without the critical illness, without the life savings type of services? And that tend to be offered through a family plan in China without these players. Hmm. And what about the role of you know traditional Chinese medicine, TCM? You know, how does that get incorporated or excluded when it comes to the holistic care that families either seek out as you know based on their cultural preference or what's provided by the clinician? How, how is that intertwined or separated? That's an interesting question. And I tell you, uh, last time when I was in China, when I saw a doctor just for a simple uh, cough and runny nose, the medication I got was, uh, and this was a you know Western uh, internal medicine practitioner, the, the medication I got was part Western med- medication as well as TCM medication. So I think TCM is an element that is plays an important part in the overall Chinese culture. So I don't think you can really separate out and say, hey, it's all Western, it's all TCM. We doctor previously, when we were working, we were working on a TCM AI enabler. So what that means is, you know, the traditional TCM is someone, you put your arm on the table, someone would put their few fingers on your on your wrist and then try to figure out what your body type is, you know, what you need. Is it too cold? Is it too hot? Is it too humid? Is it too dry? And then they try to give you the various TCM medication to balance your body. And so what we created was we went and spoke to you know, a number of very highly regarded leading TCM practitioner, and then just ask them, what are some things you look for? And put that, try to put that into a context of a question. And so that you just have to answer these questions and they come up with similar results as what a TCM doctor would do if they put their hand on your uh, wrist. So that was quite interesting. But I do think TCM, there is also an element of could be disrupted over time by healthcare services. And I think in China, it's going to be quite integrated and not very separate from each other. 
Mm, yeah, yeah, and you can see that outside of China as well, where there's a large Chinese cultural influence, say Singapore or Malaysia. You know, you do certainly see widespread use of TCM as an available、uh, treatment option or care option and preventative medicine option for people. You know, you you've had this broad view as a, a banker working in a technology disruptor like We Doctor, working in healthcare systems. What are your thoughts on trends for the next two to four years? What are some of the bigger picture takeaways that you would say people should be tracking、uh, as to what to expect? I, I think one thing that's happened is that adoption is increasingly accelerating. And when I say adoption, not just on the user side, but also on the service provider side or the doctors, right? The difference between I think healthcare or ride sharing, if I take that as an example, is that. Ride sharing, you could offer an incentive of you know, today I give you fifty dollars thing, then you I get the driver to drive for me. So everybody will go from let's say GoJack and all sent to Grab to go drive for Grab today because of that fifty dollars thing incentive. Tomorrow, if GoJack doesn't send me, everybody goes to go, go drive for GoJack tomorrow. And then on the user side, same thing, right? I give you a ten dollar off coupon for your first ride, then people will try it. So that adoption is always much easier. But when it comes to healthcare, it is quite different because imagine. A doctor, that fifty dollars sent to him is probably just not as important as well as they probably care more about. Okay, what is the platform I'm working for? What's the reputation? Would this potentially hurt my reputation? What is the medical liability? So there's a lot of things that go down their checklist before they even think about the money. So adoption on service providers has always been fairly low or fairly slow. And then on the user side, I think similarly historically it has always been. Okay, yeah, I see a doctor even do a video online, but how much can you really solve my problem with? And plus, you haven't seen, you know, my throat. You haven't listened to my breathing. You haven't done all these vital sign collection. So, how accurate can it be? Or is this just more like assessment? And so, the user adoption also tend to be. I mean, it's higher than the service provider side, but it's still not as high as I would say the other、uh, industry that's been disrupted. But then I think because of Various reasons, you know. One of one of the key thing I think is because of COVID, you got both users as well as service providers are starting to adopt to that. And then second, you also starting to have more and more technology, especially whether it's wearable or some of the hardware that can collect a lot more of a person's vital sign. So that remote online consultation is going to become more and more accurate over time because the more Vital, or the more data these doctors can have whenever they do consultation with you, the more accurate it's going to be. And so, with that, I think you know you look at Apple Watch now, right? The new Apple Watch Six, you can get EKG, you can get blood oxygen level. So there is an element of more information being collected through these wearables and other hardware devices. And so that will make remote consultation better. And so in the next two to four years, in my mind, is it's going to be. Adoption of online healthcare or online consultation is going to be much more widely adopt- adopted. That's number one. We're going to see more and more technology investment in ability to collect these key vital signs,、uh, whether that's the wearables or do some of these hardwares. And then I do think that we will also see more and more data-driven or AI enablers where they can make the consultation even more accurate, more efficient for service providers. So I do see that as a kind of next two to four years. And what I would love to see, and I think this is it's probably still a question mark, is that there would be a lot more integration, whether that is information sharing, 
or data sharing between various public-private hospital clinics so that as a user, if I go into clinic A that's under different group and I go to a public hospital after that, that data and that integration happens, right? So I don't have to redo the test over again. And then post me visiting that, I still have all those data on my healthcare super app, for example, right? So that the data is now sits with me and it just goes everywhere with me. So in case I move somewhere else, I see a new doctor, hey, that doctor has a history of you. So my history, my profile is out there. I would love to see that. I'm not sure that'll happen in the next two to four years. That's always a very contagious um, uh, this, uh, topic, but you know, I think that would be great if we see something like that. Right. Well, I think those are all relevant trends that we can keep our eye on. And one last question for you in terms of broader China trends. In uh, technology, in the general sector for we look at mobile devices or consumer services, business models and, and the actual business co- company leaders tend to be very Chinese, right? Entire ecosystem inside of China of Chinese companies. Do you see that healthcare will follow that pattern or do you see that there's a way that companies outside of China can also play a meaningful role in helping to disrupt and improve health outcomes for individuals? That's a very good question. And I don't think there is a direct answer in the sense that I think the thing you have to to remember is there is a lot of sensitive data, as in healthcare data or individual healthcare data is considered very sensitive. Can there really be a very big, for example, would there be, let's say, Amazon Health come in and then OSN can really disrupt the overall healthcare system and be able to collect all these data of individuals in China? I don't think that's likely. I think likely is probably, let's say, a giant like We Doctor who has that platform, but they leverage technology that's outside of China, whether that is from US, from Israel, and then really take that to service the people within China. Then I think that is probably something and a trend that you see that's more doable. But because my experience how we doctor is, I can tell you that the data relating to healthcare of individuals is considered highly sensitive. And so I think it's less likely that you're going to have any big technology platform or players from outside of China to be able to come in and do everything by themselves. I think very much it's going to have, we have local players that are local partners, and then we leverage our technology to service them. I think that's going to be how the structure would look like. Okay. So the interventions themselves, whether it's prevention or digital therapeutics, will have the highest likelihood of having success in China then? Yeah. Very helpful, Jeff. Thanks. And how can our audience get in touch with you? Uh, feel free to find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I would love to, to share and chat with uh, people who are interested in this sector. That's great, Jeff. We'll include a link to your profile in the show notes. I wanted to thank you again for joining us. It's been incredibly insightful, and I look forward to having you on again in the future. Thank you. Thank you, Tony, for inviting me to the show. And that's a wrap on this episode. Before I go, here's how you can help us. Please share this podcast with others. And if you subscribe, you'll get updates on new episodes and other content. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter at Estrella Vino, using the spelling of my last name, or email at apac at digitalhealthtoday.com if you have any questions, suggestions, or ideas for future episodes. And finally, please visit our website at digitalhealthtoday.com or on our second home at Health Podcast Network to hear other episodes from our podcasting team, including Dan Kendall and Eugene Boruhovich. This show was researched and written by Taliosa and is produced by Mission Based Media. The sound and music was by Ivan Yurich. And until next time, I'm Tony Estrella, and thank you for listening. 
Hey, Dan Kendall here. Thanks for tuning in to Digital Health Today, Asia Pacific Edition. This episode may be over, but there's plenty more where this came from. Just visit our website to find other great shows featuring digital health leaders and innovators. Find us at digitalhealthtoday.com. That's digitalhealthtoday.com.